The Tom Woods Show, episode 1794. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. We're going to be catching up today with a couple of old friends. We've got Tom Mullen back with us for the first time in rather a while and Brian Seaman. And they're here together because Brian just produced a music video for Tom. Tom has uh, released a song called Invisible Hand. I suppose that's probably self-explanatory. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. What I want to talk about today is a few things. First, we will eventually get to the concept of the invisible hand, which we could all use a refresher on things like this, but also how best and most effectively we can spread our ideas. And maybe the academic one is only one of those, and we need to think about other avenues, including music. So this sort of thing, and then kind of bring, I want to cast our minds back to a dozen years ago or so when I think maybe we were a little more hopeful for the future and just try and hash some of this out together. So I'll link to the song, Invisible Hand, at tomwoods.com slash 1794. All right, let's start with your song. Tom, tell us about what you did. Now, we're recording this. You and I are talking December 9th. So this is the night that you premiered the song? Yeah, the uh, the song was actually released to radio uh, about six weeks ago, and it's actually already been added to rotation by 43 stations, I believe, and counting. Tonight was the premiere of the music video, which was produced by Brian Seaman, produced uh, at least one Jordan Page video and some others on the Liberty theme before. So we're real excited about that. All right, so that's excellent. So now tell me, what's the idea behind the song? Well, I had this idea in 2009, believe it or not. I know that because I was being interviewed about my first book, A Return to Common Sense. And the person who interviewed me was was involved in producing videos and that kind of thing. And I said, I have this song in my head called Invisible Hand about the free market. And all I had was the chorus. That's what they call the invisible hand over and over for 11 years. <laughs> and finally, one day last year, I sat down and said, I got to write the rest of the song and do something with it. And, um, you know, I thought, well, if John Lennon can put the Communist Manifesto to music and have an all-time classic, somebody should do Adam Smith. I, I wish it was someone better than me, but uh, here we are. So how do you get a song like this out to radio stations? Well, there's a podcaster I uh, follow that that told me I shouldn't try to do everything myself. And so I actually uh, reached out to someone who does this for a living, a radio promoter, and said, hey, I've got something here that's very unique. Would you be interested in, in helping me with it? And uh, I'm actually using Powderfinger Productions. So give them a shout out for getting Adam Smith on largely, I think, left-leaning radio stations all over the country. So, Brian, what's your role in this? Uh, I actually, Tom, I made a video for Rebel Inc., another band that's been part of the freedom movement. And uh, I sent it to Tom, you know, trying to get views on the video and, and people to like it. And he, uh, he came back to me and said, hey, uh, interested in making another music video? And, of course, I like doing that. So I said, sure. And uh, then he sent me the hardest song in his uh, repertoire to, to make a video for. But, yeah, it, uh, you know... I've really been trying to get into the video making game. And so Tom gave me the opportunity. 
I think this whole topic comes back to the fundamental question of how we get our ideas out there. And a lot of us, of course, have been trying to get them out there through blog posts and YouTube videos and books and conferences and speeches and academic papers and things of that sort. And that has its place and we, we couldn't live without that. But it's limited because you're only going to reach a certain sort of person over and over and over with those kinds of approaches. And obviously we know for you know all her faults, Ayn Rand was very successful with novels. She was great with nonfiction too, but her novels reached a huge number of people. So by doing this, you're trying to go beyond the, you know, the usual boundaries. And yet a lot of times people listen to songs and they don't even know what the words are. And when you ask them what the words are, it's some crazy caricature of what the words actually are. So maybe this works, maybe it doesn't. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I think you're right. And, you know, for myself, I, I wrote on the Liberty topics for a good 12 years. And to be honest with you, I was just very burned out. I, I just felt like I was banging my head against the wall. I mean, I got a lot of high fives from people who already agreed with me, but I, I never felt like I was making any kind of a difference. And I'm sitting here saying I'm doing all this outside of making a living and everything, and it's, it's just not fulfilling for me. And I thought I enjoy playing music and, you know, I'm going to give this a try. And to be honest with you, you know, I think when you get online, you know, the lizard people are everywhere and just waiting to jump all over you with, you know, some lizard person message about the free market and, as you say, the caricatures. But I think most of the people who at radio stations and the people, if you go on my website, skepticsongs.com and read some of the reviews of the song, these are people probably coming from the left, but they seem to be people of goodwill who are open to thinking about the message. And sometimes I don't get it right. I mean, the whole idea of the invisible hand is that we're working in our self-interest, not trying to help anybody but ourselves, but that we do help other people. And in some of those reviews, it's, it's apparent they haven't quite got that, but they're trying to get it. And they, I think the idea of having a song they kind of like and it sounds good to them, and then all of a sudden they want to you know, take a more positive view of the message and try to find something good in it. So you know, I don't know if that's going to be the case as it gets more and more attention, but so far, that's what I've found has happened. So uh, how do people, first of all, how do people find the song? I mean, I'll just link to it, I guess, on the show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 1794. Obviously, you have the video, so presumably that's available in the usual places. Yeah, and it's on every platform, uh, Spotify, Apple, Deezer, uh, whatever music platform you're on. If you search Tom Mullen, Invisible Hand, or or just Tom Mullen. I think I'm one of the only Tom Mullins that makes music, <laughs> but believe it or not, you'll, you'll find me pretty easily. And there's an album out that uh, will also be released to radio in January, but you can already hear it on Spotify, Apple, etc. called Into the Twilight. And uh, this song is, I think, the sixth track on it. Okay. Let's go back in time a little bit because I don't remember exactly when and where we met, but at one of these events you and I met, was it for both of you guys? Was Ron Paul the catalyst? Uh, yes. You and I met actually at Paul Festival in 2008, or I mean, Revolution March in 2008, Paul Festival in 2012. In fact, uh, you have signed the book, um, Who Killed the Constitution, for me in 2008. So, you know, for me, it goes back 
that far. The Ron Paul movement is probably the start of it. And, you know, when I look at your book, Who Killed the Constitution, Tom Mullen's book, Return to Common Sense, these are things that really helped me go down that rabbit hole in the freedom movement. And so, you know, when he produced his song, Invisible Hand, I thought I understood it, which I did. But the challenge there was how to get other people to understand that concept. And I think we all go through it throughout the days. But going back into the past, yeah, we met at the uh, Revolution March and at the Paul Festival in 2012. Yeah, and I think um, I could add that in 2007, this is the way I discovered Ron Paul, is my, my wife came home and said she heard on on NPR that there's a Republican running as a libertarian. Now, I only discovered the Libertarian Party four or five years before that. And, you know, I puffed out my chest and says, yeah, I'm sure these Republicans always say they're libertarian. Allow me to educate you why this guy's a phony. And so I went on his website and I went, oh my gosh, this guy's for real. I had never heard of him. And uh, I could not believe what I was reading. I said, well, hey, hon, come on over here. This, I think this is for real. So I kind of got involved with and that. I had no idea about the liter- libertarian literature, the Mises Institute, any of that stuff. And I thought, I'm going to write this letter. And I heard that you know, they were organizing this revolution march. And I just sent it off to the organizers. And I hadn't met anybody. And I said, I think somebody should read this letter. I had no idea like I would be going to do it. So eventually, you know, they, Brian got back to me. No, I think you should come and read it. Okay. So I go to read the letter and I still don't get it. I'm up there and I don't realize I'm making a speech. So I start reading it. I don't know what I'm doing. And people start cheering. And it was about like halfway through, I got the idea. Here's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to read a few lines wait and let everybody cheer and have a good time and then read some more. So it's like, I've, I learned all this on the fly. It, it wasn't the, the most graceful thing ever, but uh, that's how I got started. That's where I met Brian. And so, uh, Brian, what are you doing these days? Mostly I'm making videos. Uh, I still do a little political activism, but most of it I think is keyboard warrior, nothing else, you know, passing around articles and telling people how they're wrong. Other than that, I have a wife and two kids and, you know, just work in the the daily grind to make a living and support the family. Are you guys discouraged at this point? I mean, I I remember when we would, you know, we first knew each other. This was in the heyday of Ron Paul. And I remember being, you know, thinking that probably he wasn't going to go anywhere, but that at least it would be a good thing for him to do. It would be worthwhile to get his ideas out there. And I didn't know the and none of us, I think, could have predicted the intensity of the support for him that emerged, and especially given that he was talking about things that are so far removed from what was in normal political discourse and that run absolutely counter to what people are taught in school year after year after year. The fact that there were as many people as there were who were willing to listen to this message was a source of tremendous encouragement to me. And then he did even better the next time. And I didn't know where things were going to go after that, but I thought, well, surely we've got some real momentum to capitalize on. And then it all dissipated. And now I don't know what to think. I mean, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, I can remember, I actually had a press pass and I can't remember for whom. It might be from Washington Times. I wrote there for a while. And I covered Ron Paul's Tampa event in 2012. And I remember the theme was, we are the future. You, you might have spoke at it, Tom. I can't, I can't remember that. But 
I really believe that at the time I thought, you know, I never thought Ron Paul was going to be president because <laughs> not his fault, the electorates, but I really felt like the neocons had been damaged beyond, you know, their, their time was ending. And I really did feel like there was going to be a more libertarian wave coming. And I was very discouraged to see that, you know, um, as much as Trump has been a little bit better on some things than any of his predecessors in recent memory, that people were, you know, jumped right onto that as if it were, I mean, if you're a Ron Paul fan, you got to have a lot of problems with Trump. And uh, just so many people didn't seem to have that. So I was somewhat discouraged. The COVID thing has really discouraged me to the point where I, I've really thought it's hopeless at some point. And I, I got to give you some credit, Tom Woods. You've just, you've just been like a rock through this. Uh, I just can't thank you enough for all the stuff you've put together and got out there where we can all use it and say, look, look at these charts, please. You know, there is no science behind any of this. Um, and I'm actually a little more hopeful now than I was maybe six months ago. <laughs> yeah, it's a great job. Uh, and to answer your question, I think, yeah, I am discouraged. You know, most of my discouragement comes from the, the people around me. You know, throughout the years, I've talked about Ron Paul and the movement and the, I mean, you guys know all the stuff you hear and get back. Uh, well, you know, he's not charismatic or he's not, he's an isolationist or he's this or that. And to, to see Trump or anybody else talk about the stuff that Ron Paul talked about, not everything that Ron Paul talked about, but little segments of it. And then people cheered. I'm like, well, where were you back in 2008 or 2012? Why weren't you cheering it then? You know, you, Trump, no wars in four years, and now every Republican thinks that's great. Well, where were you before that? You know, when Ron Paul was saying we don't need any wars. So I think I'm a little discouraged by that. And uh, I know with the mainstream media and how they, they try to control the narrative. And so when I look at the people around me, I kind of want to just smack them in the back of the head and say, come on, wake up, wake up, fine. Don't vote for Ron Paul. There are other freedom people out there. Pick them, pick somebody who's not the same as the old person, the last person I was in. Hey everybody, let's take a quick minute to thank our sponsor, Skillshare. Christmas is coming, you want to give something that has a personal touch. Well, this Christmas season, give a gift that means more. Get creative and learn how to make the perfect handmade gift with Skillshare's online classes. You can learn about illustration, design, photography, video, crafting, and a lot more. You've heard several of the Woods daughters talk about how their artistic and writing skills improved after they took Skillshare classes. Well, all Woods here isn't super creative, so he's attracted to other Skillshare classes. One that I thought might be appealing to some of my listeners is called Pricing Your Work, How to Value Your Work as a Freelancer by Peggy Dean, because a lot of you folks provide services on a freelance basis, and one of the tricky things is knowing exactly what to charge. And there is, if not a science to it, some really good guidelines to exactly how you should do it. But again, what you learn from Skillshare can be perfect for the holidays. When you put time, effort, and creativity into a gift, it shows how much you care. Skillshare is super affordable. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. So go explore your creativity at Skillshare.com woods and get a free trial of premium membership. That's Skillshare.com woods and get a free trial of premium membership. Well, these days I, I find myself in a position that I never really imagined I'd be in. I used to think it was much too cynical for people to say, look, it's hopeless. Most people just don't want 
liberty. So just work to secure the freedom of yourself and your family the best you can. And that freedom is not just political, but it takes the form of having a job that gives you some flexibility or working for yourself or just whatever you can do to live a life that is free in meaningful ways. You should just go ahead and do that and forget about Joe Blow who just wants to be told what to do. And I used to think, ah, that's no, come on. We have to be more ambitious than that and we we can't can't give up. And yet I feel like, you know, what I get, I've been fighting for the freedom of these people for years and years and years. And what I get in return is, I'm shamed for going out for dinner by these very same people I'm trying to fight for. Right. Yeah. You know, Tom, I I can't believe I'm saying this. And what's really encouraged me has been the people here in Western New York. Now, I lived in Florida the whole time I was involved in the political stuff and, and doing all the writing. I lived in Florida from 2004 till 2014, and and I moved back for a number of reasons, at least half of them family reasons. But I really like the culture here better, and I moved back knowing that the political climate was even worse. I mean, obviously, New York is a very deep blue state, and even my hometown in Buffalo is, you know, a, a solidly democratic state. But believe it or not, I mean, I'm seeing the pushback. And I mean, very strong pushback from Buffalonians. And it really, really encouraged me. I thought Jim Ostrowski and I were the only two in like the whole area. But, you know, we've had a bunch of Buffalo businesses organize together and start resisting this. We've had people show up at the county executive's house to let them know they're not happy with uh, the decisions he's making. And I'm really surprised by that. I really am. I thought, you know, Buffalo would just march lockstep, drone-like, stay home, it saves lives, no matter what the charts say. And they've pleasantly surprised me. I mean, I don't think they're going to be out there talking deregulation tomorrow or anything like that. But, you know, maybe there is a little more of a spark left than I thought there was six months ago. And, you know, I think that with all the discouragement, throughout the year since 2008 and the freedom movement coming on, there has been a lot of people who are, I mean, the topic has definitely changed. If you remember social media and the news back then, and you remember it now, to get people to talk about even the Federal Reserve back then was difficult. And now they actually talk about it. I think there is some light being made, but at the end of the day, you know, Tom, as you said, you go out and people still shame you. It's surprising in America that you would have to deal with that. You would think in America, when you talk about freedom, you know, people would just naturally open up their ears and say, yeah, I'm listening. But I've had, you know, a group of my core friends and stuff around here that they kind of jokingly like, oh, you know, and they start talking politics. Here comes Brian with his freedom talk. Like it's a mocking thing, like talking about freedom and individual rights is something to mock. And I find that interesting. It's just how the media and the political landscape has been able to do that to control that, to to market that message like that, that people that think that way, that want to be free, that want to live their lives are some kind of extremist or weirdos. It's just weird to me. Well, I guess it's true that during even this time, I've discovered a lot of people I didn't know before. I've learned about a lot of people who do great work. It's kind of like the Ron Paul thing. You know, I, I met people I never would have met otherwise people I admire very much. Well, a lot of those people have emerged during this time. And I feel like I've come into contact with a portion of the public that is somehow uncowed. And that's sort of nice. 
But it's like, I, I feel like it's, uh, they really are irreconcilable Americas. And I don't mean that one America wants wealth redistribution and the other doesn't. All of America wants wealth redistribution. So that's not the dividing line. Right. But, but this <laughs> thing, this lockdown policy where we can only think of one thing at a time, we think about COVID, nothing else. And even then the lockdowns haven't had a lot to show for themselves. I just, I know that they feel like they probably don't ever want to deal with us ever again because we weren't taking a pandemic seriously. I feel like that's all they were thinking about and not the devastating consequences of every ridiculous anti-scientific decision they've been making since March. I don't really want to have much to do with them. So I have found like the remnant. I have found an America that I feel comfortable with. It's just those are the only Americans I really feel like dealing with anymore. I I, I just can't believe people would have allowed this to, to go on. If I, if I were, I'm not quite at the age where I'm super vulnerable to the virus, but if I were, I can tell you right now for an absolute fact, I would be like Gene Epstein, who is 76, and saying, of course I'm against lockdowns. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna, not gonna ruin the lives of young people to protect me. Young people aren't responsible for my health. Right. So I just feel like I, I just wanna get away. And there's, unfortunately, you know, people talk about separating and secession and stuff. But even if that were a live option, the problem is not so much that we have these neat little lines we can draw and that this state, you know, would would be better off with this other state and all that. It's that within the states, there's division. You just mentioned Western New York. Western New York is very different from New York City. So even even if a state were to secede, let's say, then you still have all the internal divisions. I I don't really see how you solve it. Yeah, Bring back the city-state if I can't have anarcho-capitalism, I mean, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what I said many times. But, you know, I it, what, what hit me while you were speaking there is that how the, the lizard people are smart, and they've turned our own stuff against us to some extent because they've turned going out, you know, let's just say that you have exposure to this virus, it's in your body, but your immune system has handled it or is in the course of handling it. They've turned the non-aggression principle around and said, well, you're not allowed to leave your house because you might be harming someone else rather than, you know, no, I'm not allowed to keep people in their houses because they might harm me. It's my job if I'm vulnerable to stay home. They've kind of flipped that around so they can, you know, as, as silly as it is, they almost speak in our language a little to neutralize us, I think, on that scope. And they've really, as Brian alluded to, the word freedom or the word liberty has become a pejorative. They're effective at that now and making you seem like some kind of a kook for even mentioning it. So I think we got to give the devils their due. I mean, they're awfully good at this as far as propagandizing is concerned. And uh, we've got a big road to you know, overcome that. But there are people that are open to it. I mean, there are some people that react when I say things like, what does the chart have to look like? before you stop saying what lockdowns are working, before you stop saying stay home, save lives. The chart says it's not saving lives. So, you know, why are you still repeating that, you know? And some people are open to it, but an awful lot are not. You know, one of the things they seem to do, and they're great at doing, is you're this or that. You're either pro-life or you're not. You're either pro-mask or you're anti-mask, or you're either pro-vax or you're anti-vax. They don't let you talk about anything in between, the logical stuff, the information, the science, the facts, anything like that. You're either for it or you're against it. You either are 
for wearing a mask, which means you love people and want to see them live, or you're against wearing a mask and you want people to die. And that's how they tend to put the propaganda out there and paint the picture, for or against everything. That's where they come, for war, against war. You can't have any conversation in between anything like that. You can't talk about the Constitution. You can't talk about what's right or wrong. It's either you're for it or you're against it. I think a lot of this, Trump did a lot of that. I mean, not that he did it on purpose, but let's face it, everybody here, uh, the three of us, libertarians, you know, understand that the libertarians that supported Trump basically thought, well, he's a little bit better. We certainly don't agree with him on everything, but he's like a hand grenade. You know, let's pull the pin, throw him in there and see what happens, you know? And I think he has so traumatized the, uh, the left that they just, it's everything is either Trump or not Trump. Like if I say something to the effect of, you know, Sweden and, or let's say the latest one that you shared, Tom, uh, Florida and California's charts don't seem to support the idea that staying home saves lives. Look at the charts. All of a sudden I'm a Trump guy. What, how did he get into the, oh, because at one point Trump pushed back on closing everything down. So now that's all, it must just be that if you don't agree with everything Anthony Fauci says, you must agree with everything Trump says. We've gotten into that dynamic and that's another kind of monkey wrench into anyone trying to preach our message. Yeah, I absolutely agreed with that. Let's go back to your song because the concept of the invisible hand is one that the other side likes to ridicule because they think the invisible hand means that we think all problems are automatically solved. They don't really know what the term means, and they just brush us aside dismissively if the concept is so much as raised. So can you elaborate on it? Yeah, I mean, the what I hear from a lot of people of goodwill, if I talk about, you know, the invisible hand concept is, you know, I really like some of the things you say, but I just don't trust those corporations to do the right thing. And that tells me, well, you're still not getting it because we don't need to trust them to, in quotes, do the right thing, because to most people, doing the right thing means setting aside your own interests, you know, to do some kind of charitable thing for somebody else. And, you know, what history shows, whether we like it or not, is that the people who were pursuing their own interest exclusively have done far more good for society as a whole, even for poor people than anybody who's ever been trying to, to do it. Now, Adam Smith wrote basically what I just said far more eloquently, you know, 200 and however many years ago. And it's something that it just never sinks in. And I, I, I know Walter Block has a theory and he's been working on with academic uh, people about, well, maybe we're just genetically coded for statism. And there might be something to that. We just have this hard coding that we have to, overcome with reason and not everyone's willing to do that work. But, you know, I, I tried to get it in as simple a terms. And I, I, I think there's a line in the song that says there's no such thing as a common good. And I was hoping that would just hit people who, you know, just assume that common good is something that, uh, you know, exists and everybody agrees with. And maybe it would just get them to think, well, what does he mean? You know, um, what does he mean that People won't be left behind if we don't set our interests aside and help them. So I think the best thing that could happen with the song is that people go and find Adam Smith. And, you know, I'd really rather they found Carl Menger, but 
you know, invisible hand is a lot easier to rhyme with than subjective theory of value. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, I think when it comes to trying to explain freedom to people and, and the free market, you always get the, the what if, you know, or what about those kind of arguments. And we, we're all used to it. The three of us are used to it. You know, when you talk about a market that doesn't have all these government regulations, you get the, well, well, who's going to protect you from this or who's going to protect you from that? And when you try to remind them of Enron and Goldman Sachs and down the line of all these things where government protection is supposed to be in place and to stop that stuff and it still happens, you have to say, look, Freedom doesn't stop the bad people from happening. Freedom just allows the good people to operate without coercion, without, you know, bribery, without all the things that come with the government intervention in it. And it's just amazing to watch how they don't necessarily get it or understand it. And I think I'm hoping through music, which touches a lot of people, that that's one way to maybe, you know, as Tom said, that that line about the common good maybe people will start thinking that because I hear it even, you know, amongst the people I, I walk around with where they say, well, it's best for the common good. It's be-. And I want to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you even know what you're saying? Do you know what the common good is or isn't? And so, yeah, I think, you know, that's what you have to deal with when you're promoting freedom, as you guys both know, is the, uh, well, what about the bad people? What are they, what, how, how does the free market stop the bad people? And I think, obviously, they don't get that you, the the consumer, you get to stop the bad people. You don't have to run to the government. You don't have to beg a politician to stop it. They'll get bribed anyways, and they won't stop it. So you, your spending power, your desire not to or to purchase that product will dictate that. Well, Tom, I'm going to give you the final word um, as we wrap up today. Of course, I'm going to encourage people, check out the song, Invisible Hand by Tom Mullen. I'll link to it along with the video at tomwoods.com slash 1794. Yeah, I want to thank you for having uh, Brian and I on, Tom. Appreciate it very much. And uh, everybody can go to skepticsongs.com for any of the other music I'm doing. We uh, we may be doing another video that has some of the, um, a freedom orientation to it sometime in the future. And um, please share the, the video. The more shares, likes, and comments it gets, the more attention it gets on YouTube and the more people hear the message. And it's a message we really need to hear right now because none of our political parties seem to be preaching it. Well, indeed, indeed so. So again, the link is tomwoods.com slash 1794. Go check that out. So Tom and Brian, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. All right, everybody. Well, the episode would not be complete without hearing the song. Now, would it? So here we go. Tell you that. 
Before I let you go, here's a really clever website that a Tom Wood Show listener created, and it's called In the Name of God and Profit.com. And he got the name of the site in Murray Rothbard's book, An Austrian Perspective on the History of Economic Thought. It was a Florentine merchant who used that expression in 1253, in the name of God and Profit. So at the site, which you can read, by the way, in both Italian and English, he talks, among other things, about how Catholic church teaching and market anarchism go hand in hand. Or you may say, I don't see how that could be. Well, that's why you need to go to the website. He has a section of the site dedicated to the Austrian School of Economics, which has its origin in the studies of the late scholastics, followers of Thomas Aquinas. And he shows how this all fits together and works harmoniously. He says uh, he publishes book reviews, and he's going to be reviewing apparently some of mine in the future. And then he talks about a number of fights for freedom that he cares about. For example, the Ross Ulbricht pardon to promoting Bitcoin, unschooling, and secession. And he's hoping to launch a podcast, develop some of these themes. So go check it out. The site is in the name of God and profit.com. And I'll link to that at tomwoods.com/1794. You can get publicity like this if you're thinking about starting a website, but you're afraid no one's going to go there. Old Wood's going to solve your problem because just get your hosting through my link. You get an excellent price. And then for nothing, 
I will promote your site, get you in my private bloggers group where we'll give you some help if you need it and send you some free tutorials to get you started. So it's an irresistible offer. Check it out at tomwoods.com slash publicity and I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.